is Simon Luckhurst and this is season two of Ear Movies, Conversations with Buck Thumper. Look, I know this is going to sound strange, but I saw something once that looked like a fairy. I mean, I'm a sceptical person, so I realise it probably wasn't a fairy. It was evening and there in the garden was this little floating, glowing thing. Never seen anything like it before or since. I didn't think of catching it, so I never had a chance to make a wish. I still wouldn't even want to hazard a guess as to what it really was. I've seen fireflies and glowworms, and it was neither of those. In some ways, I'm quite happy it's remained unexplained. There was one witness to the fairy, and as things work out in this strange world we live in, she's the person you'll hear from next. I've known Genevieve Davis for a while now, and we've shared a few of life's adventures together. She'd be the first to identify herself as a singer, but I've seen her acting enough times to realise the talent she has there too. Here's Genevieve Davis reading Wishing Well. Wishing well. When she was young, Tammy Matthews had thick, raven black hair, which her mother made her grow long. This meant hours of brushing and untangling. Tammy would cry as her mother pulled and tugged. Her father worked in a mine in Queensland. About twice a year, he'd arrive at the front door without warning. They'd have a good time together for a few days, then he'd leave just as suddenly. He made Tammy small presents from wood and even smaller ones from promises. Tammy was sure he meant them when he said them, but she learned early he wouldn't follow through. The kitten that never came, the holidays they never took, the money he never sent, and when she was 11, that he'd come back to her again. Her mother worked in a takeaway. They ate lots of reheated chips, Chico rolls and Dagwood dogs. Some days it was dry battered fish and stale bread rolls. They lived in Katoomba, just off the main street, not far from where her mother worked. As Tammy grew older, she began to explore. She loved the park at the bottom of the main street. It had an old swing set that no one ever played on. To get there, she had to take a winding bush trail. She thought of it as a secret garden. She walked every street and every hill between the railway line and the lookout. She loved the spectacle of Sublime Point. The town was her world. Occasionally, she'd head down into the old Catalina Park racing track. Sometimes she'd go across the playing fields and walk to the scenic skyway. When it started to get cold, she stopped wandering. She didn't like fog. In winter, she stayed indoors. When shapes lost their clear edge, they could be anything. She didn't know what the mist held. The fog was not her friend. Winter was for sitting near the fire and reading. Winter was for pumpkin soup, cheap and easy to make. Winter was a break from old pies and reborn Kranskis. Winter was scarves and layers and dragon breath and boots. Winter was a precursor to spring and clear skies. Winter was the time for books. Once it grew warm, she'd find the world again. 
She'd be refreshed and re-energised and hungry for new experiences. Spring, summer and autumn were the times to use the knowledge she gained from reading. She loved the world again. One evening when she was 13, she was chasing fairies in the garden. Grass was long. The remains of daffodils were just visible. She lunged after the tiny specks flying around her. They weren't really fairies, of course. They were thistledown. There were hundreds of them blowing on the suggestion of a breeze. She knew that if you caught a fairy, you could make a wish. Fairies are elusive creatures at the best of times. With the slight breeze at their backs, they were nearly impossible to catch. The tiny wind made by her hand filled their infinitesimal sails even more and they'd spin out of reach. Just as it was nearly dark and she was about to go inside, she caught one. The only thing was, it was real. It wasn't thistledown. It was a tiny creature in human form with delicate gossamer wings. It was beautiful. She held it by its toes. It didn't move. She wondered if she'd knocked it out when she'd grabbed it. She hoped it wasn't hurt. She wondered if she should let it go, but she desperately wanted its wish. Fairies, which were thistle seeds, couldn't give wishes, but this one wasn't a thistle seed. If fairies were real, then so were wishes. It dangled from her fingers like it was sleeping. She went to the recycling bin and found a jar. She lowered the fairy inside. It lay on the glass. Had she killed it? What if some kind of fairy detective was on the case already? Would she be accused of fairy murder? She went to the shed and found a hammer and some nails. They were old and some were rusted together. She found one she could use to punch holes in the lid of the jar. The fairy still looked like it was sleeping or dead. She couldn't tell. Then, one wing, the slightest of flutters, a micro shiver along its shiny length. A few seconds later, there was another. Then the other wing shook as well. She took the jar to her room. Her mother wouldn't be back from work for a couple of hours. She set the jar on her homework desk. She turned on her reading lamp. She watched. Eventually, gradually, the rest of its body stirred. It stretched out its limbs and then stood up. It stared around itself, exploring the space. Then it turned to Tammy. Its eyes met hers. She realised she had stopped breathing. What if it possessed infinite power? What if a glass jar was no more a prison to it than a paper bag would be? And what if it was determined to avenge its captivity? She was staring at it, and it was staring back. And then it spoke. Why the bloody hell am I in here? It shouted. Even though it was so small, she could hear it clearly. Effing let me out right now or I'm going to let you have it, it said. She was scared, but forced herself to calm down. It didn't appear to have the power to make its way out of the jar. Maybe she was safe, as long as she kept it inside. Do I get a wish? She asked. The fairy, which had been flying up near the lid of the jar, landed and turned its eyes back on her. You mortals are all the bloody same. It's all about the damn wishes, isn't it? I thought they were the rules, Tammy said. Load of dingoes droppings if you ask me, the fairy said. So, do I get a wish? She asked. The fairy turned away. 
It clasped its hands behind its back. You want a frigging wish? It said at last, turning back to her. She nodded. Sure, it said eventually. Yeah, you can have a wish. Anything you bloody want. Anything? She asked. Within the convention, of course. What convention? The fairy sighed. <sighs> the fairy dash human convention from the early part, it said. No flying, controlling people, making people love you, or unending magic powers. Has to be something just for you. Can I have five million dollars? Tammy asked. No, ten? Too easy. Cash all right? The fairy said. Tammy thought about what a difference the money would make. Her mother would never have to work again. She could buy a good house. But then Tammy worried. Her mother loved red wine, but they couldn't afford it very often. Sometimes when she drank it, she was very rude. She'd get really angry with Tammy for no reason. What if her mother bought wine all the time? What if she was rude every night? Would ten million dollars be worth that? Just give me the nod, said the fairy. The cash will be sitting on the table, and I'll be on my way. Tammy imagined what all that money would look like. What the expression on her mother's face would be when she saw it. They'd go out to celebrate, but <laughs> she'd thought of her mother's face the last time she'd been drunk. She was a pretty woman, but she didn't look pretty when she was shouting. I need more time to think. Is that okay? Tammy asked. Struth, the fairy said. It's a wish. How hard can it be? Tammy felt annoyed. I want to be sure that when I make a life-changing wish, that it's the right one. Okay, she said. The fairy laughed. <laughs> I'm immortal. You can take ten years to decide, and it won't matter a brass razoo to me. Despite how rude the fairy sounded, Tammy didn't want to think of it being stuck in a jar for ten years. Do you want something to eat? Tammy asked. It shook its head. Not yet. A morsel will last us for months. That's a bit boring, Tammy said. She loved spaghetti bolognese. Well, it's good because we don't poop very often either, so that's a plus. You don't need to go to the toilet, Tammy asked, surprised. Our bottoms are used so rarely; they're very beautiful. Want to see? Tammy looked at the fairy. Didn't you know? Our asses are magic windows with views of infinite rainbows. Really? The fairy started to laugh. <laughs> Jeez, you should see your face," it said. "We fart bubbles of musk too. <laughs> bubbles of effing musk." <laughs> Tammy kept the fairy near the window. She hid it in her cupboard if she thought her mum was coming into her room, but she rarely did. At night, the fairy glowed a bright green. Sometimes it flew around inside the jar. Other times, it paced. It reminded her of a tiger at the zoo. The fairy told Tammy its name was Antel Bertelnay, but she could call it Bert for short. It refused any sort of agreement where she'd release it on a promise her wish would be delivered in the future. It said the ancient bond between fairies and humans would be tainted. Well, it didn't say tainted. It said cactus. It claimed that a contract with a fairy was binding only in certain parts of Bohemia. 
Tammy thought about all the things she could wish for instead of money. She thought about asking for good health. While she knew being well would be a good thing, she knew there'd be times when she might want a house or a holiday or a car, though. She spent hours worrying about it. By now, she transferred Bert into an old gherkin jar. It was larger. She found a tiny bed from a doll's house on the chuckout. She put it in with him. That's a lovely gesture, Bert said, proudly walking around it. He sat down on his bed, testing it. I've never had a bed before, he said. She made sheets from torn-out tissues and cut out a tiny blanket from an old hanky. Bert pulled them up over himself. This is bloody comfortable, he said. His favourite thing to do was looking out over the garden. He'd stand there, his hands clasped behind his back, wings shimmering slightly, and stare for hours. You know us fairies are flitters, he said one day. We never stop in one place for long. We dart hither and thither, from thence to yonder. We're always on the friggin' move. But I'm liking staying still. I'm loving watching the grass grow, reaching its green fingers towards the sun. Flowers silently exploding into colour, their petals as thin as the sky. And rain! I loved dodging the drops at top speed, but I never stopped to actually watch them. Seeing the first gentle drop arrive, chased by its friends, I never gave myself a chance to watch their meniscal dance. Do you watch the rain? Bert asked. I do, Tammy told him. I love how fresh it is the day after, how clean everything is. The rain is the maid of the world. Tammy felt closer and closer to Bert. Although his delight in coarse language had put her off initially, as time went on he began swearing less. Or she didn't notice as much. She took to shoving the jar into her backpack before going on a walk so he could share the view with her. A secluded spot in the scrub, on the edge of a cliff overlooking the Megalong Valley, in a cultured garden with many petty lawns and designer flower beds. Bert became her confidant. In return, she became his teacher, telling him about the world he'd flown around in without ever stopping to look at him. One day, Tammy realised they'd spent a year together. I should just decide on my wish and let you go, she told him. He told her not to rush. He said he understood how hard it was, that some people took longer than others. Maybe I should just wish for something silly, like a delicious cheese or an amazing sunset after a gloomy day, or the ability to knit. Is that your wish? Bert asked, standing up and raising his arms over his head. No, no, I still need time to think. Maybe I should just wish to never run out of food. I have to choose which kind of food. What if he gave me capsicum? Ugh! Bert sat down again. Can I wish for the whole world to have food? Tammy asked. Bert shook his head. Against the convention, he said, you can only wish for something that affects you. What a shame, Tammy said. So war, pandemics and climate change are out? Afraid so, said Bert. How many wishes have you granted? Tammy asked. Four, Bert said. What were they? Inside his jar, Bert turned and walked towards her. Tammy was crouched down and they were eye to eye. First time was way back, the Stone Age, you'd call it. Young man was very hungry, whole family about to die of starvation, actually. He'd got me by the legs and we could see a mastodon. He asked me to give it to him to eat. And did you? Tammy asked. Sure did. His family survived. His ancestors still walk the earth. In fact, Russell Brandt is one of them. 
I love Russell Brand, Tammy said. Only thing was, that was the last male mastodon. Maybe the species would have survived. Always regretted that. That that was his wish. What was the next one? Young man under attack, whole village massacred. He was facing certain death. I thought you couldn't grant immortality. Didn't. I gave him a cloak of invisibility. He was lucky. He was. But he grew up to become a great warrior. Oh, the merciless. An Assyrian commander whose story is now lost to history. He was responsible for tens of thousands of deaths. Did you feel bad about all the killing? Why would I feel bad? I grant wishes to individuals and follow strict guidelines. What happens afterwards is not my concern. Do you warn them? Tammy asked. Of the future? How can I? I'm not all-knowing, Bert said. What was the next one? Bert scratched his tiny head. It was a little more interesting. Have you ever heard of Hong Bao? He sailed the Pacific in a fleet of Chinese junks. When he arrived in Australia, he fell in love. Her name was Alinta, and she was very beautiful. She had a smile that would make you realise after a minute that you'd stopped breathing. Not that I breathe personally, but I know people who do. Anywho, they decided to get married. He'd return to China and inform the emperor of his discoveries, and then return. There'd be a treaty to protect Australia. What happened? Bert sighed. <sighs> Bao came back to Australia, but Alinta was very ill. He begged me to save her, but as you know, my wishes can only affect the person who has caught me. If he'd been ill, it would have been a click of the fingers, and hey, presto, bouncing off his deathbed. He tried every trick in the book. He wanted to give me to her, but transfer of ownership is against the rules. He wished for happiness, knowing that he would only be happy if she lived. But I couldn't give him that either. He wished for special medicine that would cure her ailment, but that too was out of bounds. She died in front of him, and he hated me for it with a deep passion. Her death really set back Sino-Australian relations. Because do you know what he wished for after that? I know what I'd wish for, Tammy said. What? Bert asked. To forget her, Tammy said. He wanted to forget the whole voyage. Bert nodded. "You got it," he said. "For him to forget meant that I had to erase everyone's memory of it, so you won't find a record of Alinta anywhere." "That's sad," Tammy said. "I suppose so," said Bert. "Although technically it was his fault anyway. The bacteria that ultimately killed her had arrived on board his ship. There's nothing worse than star-crossed lovers and a lack of immunity." Bert looked outside. Nearly bedtime," he said. "You said there was another wish," Tammy reminded him. Bert was silent for a moment. "I can't tell you," he said. "Against the convention?" Tammy asked. "I just—it's complicated," Bert explained. "I really want to know," Tammy said. "I can tell you if you wish for it, but you know that'd be your wish." She wondered what the wish had been. By this time, Bert had well and truly settled into his jar. Tammy made fairy bread once a week, and he'd nibble away on it happily. Every month, she would empty fairy poo from the tiny toilet she'd given him and sprinkle it outside. As fertilizer went, it was the best ever. 
It only had to touch the ground for plants to thrive. Flowers grew to twice their normal size, and vegetables tasted like they were from heaven's own backyard. In summer, they had to mow the lawn twice a day. Even the weeds were thriving. One afternoon, Tammy thought she'd been attacked by a triffid, although it actually turned out to be an over-enthusiastic gymea lily. Tammy started scattering the poo in a wider area, sharing its bounty with the whole neighbourhood. Perhaps it was having Bert in the house, but Tammy's mother seemed generally happier. Maybe he somehow contributed to a small lotto win they had, which made things a little more comfortable for a while. Tammy's marks improved in school. She even came to the attention of a boy in class who sent more than his share of texts until she told him to stop. Why did you do that? Bert asked. They'd gone to a lookout with a stunning view of the three sisters. They were sitting at a picnic bench with Bert's jar on the table. He wasn't my type, Tammy explained. He wouldn't understand me in a million years. Bert didn't say anything. I guess I'm kind of pretty and he's sort of handsome, but he's always so glum. I couldn't stand to be around that all the time. There's no rush, Bert said. The right person is there for everyone, although sometimes you have to wait a while. I need them to be enthusiastic like I am. You think I'm enthusiastic, don't you? Keen as bloody mustard, you, Bert said. It's important to be positive. I mean, when something really horrible happens, you probably don't need to pretend everything's great. Rest of the time, though, when you have a choice, why would you choose to feel bad? From what I've seen, lots of people do, Bert told her. What about fairies? Tammy asked. Are they always happy? We're a pretty bouncy lot, Bert said. Probably because of all the flitting, but I agree with you. Some people think they deserve to feel down. Only if you remember they can choose their mood. The sun had started to set. Nothing dramatic yet, just the first change from yellow to orange. A breeze. The leaves sang. Their voices were hoarse. Tammy reached for her pullover. Some black cockatoos cried beyond the cliff edge. Ancient shrieks reminding Tammy of the beginning of the world. Bert, she said after a while, but if something happened to me, could you be free? Nothing's going to happen to you, Bert replied. I thought you couldn't tell the future, she asked. He turned away to look at the three sisters, already splashed in gold by the sinking sun. Another year passed. Tammy wanted Bert to be free. She couldn't decide on her wish, though. She said she'd just let him go, but he wouldn't hear of it. Tradition, he said, standards. To let him free would forgo the wish. Tammy wanted the wish, but she didn't like that he was trapped. She sewed him a budgerigar costume and bought him a cage. If her mother came into her room, he'd pretend to be a bird. He'd freak her out by reciting entire scenes from Shakespeare. It had been a cold blue mountains winter and both Tammy and her mother had come down with the flu. Tammy missed three days of school, but even worse, her mother was forced to take two weeks off work. They'd gone even further behind in the bills than usual. Once her mum was working again, they had to scrimp and save to try and catch up. Tammy could see how stressed her mother was and she seriously thought about using her wish on money. Being sick had worried her, though. What if she got something really serious? Cancer, say. She decided that if it got really bad, 
If they were going to be evicted or had no food at all, then she'd use her wish on money. But until then, she'd wait and see. Winter in Katoomba can be draining. Sometimes it felt like they were living in a cold, dark cloud. That year it was grey every day and the mist lingered. Tanny hated the lack of definition. The chill leached under her skin. No matter how many layers she put on, there was ice in her bones. She loved long showers, but her mother would shout out to her not to use all the hot water. She loved lying in bed in the mornings, but her mother would yell at her to get ready for school. She loved crouching over the small fireplace in the evening, watching the red coal kingdoms rising and falling. Her mother rarely reacted when she did this. Sometimes she'd bring Bert into the lounge room. She wondered if he was working fairy magic because if she watched the embers with him, the visions became more ornate. She saw palaces being built, walls and towers and battlements and buttresses slowly rising. She saw ash armies marching forward to batter themselves against the walls and be showered with burning coals dropped from above. Sometimes the walls fell, other times they remained standing and the armies retreated. If she stared really closely, she saw individual kings, handsome and broad of chest, and warrior queens whose beauty and bravery made her cry. Slowly the winter crawled towards spring. It seemed to Tammy she had never wanted the sun to come so quickly. Eventually, it emerged out of the eternity of the fog, and she saw her world again under the brightest blue sky imaginable. Flowers started flinging themselves from the earth. She transferred Bert into the small jar and they walked again. I'm never going to decide on my wish, she said one day. I'm sorry, Bert shrugged. Like I said, it doesn't really matter to me. Just keep the fairy bread coming, though. She passed him a piece the size of a five-cent coin and he reached up and took it with two hands. Take all the time you want, he said, biting into it, the way a child would munch into an enormous apple. Tammy left home after high school and moved to a residential college in Armadale. She studied to be a teacher. It was here that she had her first serious relationship. Noel was 23. He met Tammy at a party. I've seen you before, he said. Peter Pendle's bash the other week. She'd been there. You were wearing a red jumper and a scarf. I guess you did see me then, she told him. You studying? he asked. She nodded. Teaching, I bet. How did you know? He smiled. Not trying to be rude or anything, but you kind of look like a teacher. Tammy didn't mind that. What about you? She asked. Ag, economics, honours, water allocation in the cotton industry. Not as exciting as it sounds. She smiled. He was an easy talker and she was an easy listener. He went to get them beers twice during the evening. They were both drinking Coopers, but neither was in a rush to get drunk. She liked that. They took a lift home with one of his friends and he walked her to the door but didn't try to kiss her. She half wished he had. He called her the next afternoon and they met for coffee. She told Bert about him when she returned to her room. Although he was normally inquisitive, he seemed uninterested in Noel. In the months that followed, he was happy to talk about all the things they normally spoke about but it seemed that romance was taboo. Are you jealous? she asked. They'd gone looking for apples. There were wild trees growing if you knew where to look for them. The evening air was crisp and the ground was hard. 
Why would I be jealous? I'm immortal. I can grant wishes. I have more power than Noel can ever understand. Then why don't you like it when I talk about him? Bert stayed silent. They were sitting on a bench. In front of them was a copse of pines and to one side an old stand of apple trees. Some of the fruit had already been picked, but Tammy could see there were still apples left higher up. Some would be wormy, but most would be okay. Do you think we would have been friends if you were a human? Tammy asked him. She thought it would be one of those questions that would linger in the air unanswered, but he replied straight away. We're friends now, aren't we? he said. I can't see it'd make a difference if I was a human. Or if you were a fairy, for that matter. The only difference is that I wouldn't be in a cage and we'd share a lot more things. She thought for a moment. If it works out with Noel or someone else in the future, would it be all right if I told them about you? Sure, Bert said. It'll be a test of your relationship, though. Can they keep the secret and try not to exploit it? Would you be able to deal with their demands if they got it in their head that you should ask for a particular wish? Desire does strange things to people, she sighed. I came here for apples. I guess I'd better get some, she said. She and Noel kept seeing each other. She didn't tell him about Bert. The fairy didn't complain about spending more time in the cupboard. In many ways, he was very patient about it. Tammy thought. Noel ended their relationship just before graduation. He said she wasn't right for him. She cried for days. She even thought about using her wish to somehow try and get him back. In the end, she let him go. If he didn't want to be with her, she wasn't going to force him. She went back to the mountains. Her mother had found a boyfriend, so Tammy didn't stay long. She ended up moving to Canberra. Perhaps she needed to be near the cold. She explored the bike paths. Cycling through the trees became her new favourite thing. She found a job as a teacher. Her first class was year three. She loved working with them. One day, she brought Bert to class. She figured that seven and eight-year-olds talking about the fairy their teacher had brought in wouldn't be believed. And she was right. It became an annual ritual. She liked the sound of the ice breaking underfoot as she crunched across a lawn. In spring the flowers came out, summer evenings were delightful, and then the leaves coloured and dropped and the gutters overflowed with their skeletons. She and Bert had a flat in Dixon. He developed a passion for TV, travel shows in particular. She didn't date again until her early thirties. Scott worked as a project officer for the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. He went to lots of meetings, drowned in emails, sometimes prepared reports and managed a dozen staff. Despite him attempting to explain to her a few times, Tammy wasn't certain what his actual purpose was, though. She realised in the end that it didn't matter. They liked similar movies, he shared her passion for the outdoors and even embraced the cold the same way she did. When her mother was killed in a car accident, Scott was very supportive. There was compensation from the other driver, so Tammy put a deposit on a house in Downer. Life with Scott was pretty normal. 
except that there was a fairy living in a secret compartment in the spare room. She set him up with a phone so he could watch his shows. He grew addicted to YouTube. He ate all the fairy bread she offered. He put on weight. She asked him countless times if he wanted her to set him free. She had a thousand opportunities for wishes, but she always felt she should wait for the right one. Health, money, a new car, a new job, a holiday. They either felt too important to waste or too trivial to spend. She and Scott had been discussing the idea of babies for nearly a year. She'd gone off the pill and they were in wait-and-see-what-happens mode when she found out he was seeing someone else. He sometimes had to travel for meetings in other cities and a French woman in Melbourne had caught his attention. Sometimes in later years, she wondered what would have happened if she hadn't have picked up the phone just as the text came in. She screamed, she shouted, she pleaded for an explanation. She told him scornfully that just because he worked for foreign affairs, it didn't mean he had to have one. His face remained blank while she shouted. She realised then that he didn't love her, not in the way that she loved him and not in the way that she wanted to be loved. She closed the door behind him. She heard he became an alcoholic and was known as a womaniser. Her 40th birthday came and went. She had few friends other than Bert, who she'd moved into the lounge room. She liked talking about the issues of the day with him, whether the latest outrage of the government or reality TV. There was often little difference between their scandals. Then she met Marie. She was moving into the flats next door. Tammy saw her struggling to trolley a washing machine through her front door. Tammy helped her, and between them they were able to wedge it tightly against the doorframe. Instead of frustration or anger, Tammy's new neighbour collapsed into hysterical laughter. Tammy joined in. They managed to unstick it eventually and realised it would easily fit through the rear door. Marie asked her in for tea, and it was the first of many happy conversations. Unlike Tammy's spartan neatness, Marie's place was very messy. Not the unhealthy kind with leftover washing up and decaying fruit, but the sort where piles of clothes competed for space with towers of paints and pots and jars full of brushes. An easel leant against the wall, cloaked in a pink cardigan. A bucket of Lego had overflowed onto the carpet in a mess of bricks and half-built walls. Canvases nearly concealed an uncomplaining aspidistra. Marie's children completed the picture. Madison, nine, and Harpo, six, were lively and unconventional. Harpo had curly hair, wore a saggy yellow jumper, and always carried something like pine cones, rocks, or strange coloured mushrooms. Madison had pink cheeks and a gap between her front teeth. She talked at a frenetic pace with an impressive vocabulary. Tammy guessed that Marie was in her early 30s. Although there was the best part of a decade between them, they became close friends. The children accepted Tammy as a de facto aunt without hesitation. Marie was full of plans. She was going to live for a year in France. She wanted to visit every continent. She intended to fall in love repeatedly and never marry. Tammy listened to her for hours, and when Marie asked her what she wanted, Tammy would shrug and laugh and let the question fade from the conversation without an answer. Marie liked to paint, but she was also a poet, a good poet. 
and one day she surprised Tammy by revealing how successful she was. She handed over a bundle of small paperbacks with a US imprint. Tammy realised she even knew Marie's name. You're her? Marie nodded. I'm impressed, Tammy said. There aren't that many famous poets. I'm sure there are loads out there who are better than me, Marie said. Tammy flicked through the books. Some of the poems were angry, some were funny. One made her want to cry after the first two lines. They're so beautiful, she said. I'm working on a new collection, Marie said. When it's finished, I'd love to hear what you think. What I think? Surely you have publishers and editors and scholars just drooling at the mouth to see them. I do, Marie said, but you see, these poems are about you. Me? Marie nodded. I want you to read them first. Tammy realised she'd be intimately exposed for all the world to see. Every aspect of her had the potential to be laid bare. She didn't know what to say. Marie came to her and kissed her on the cheek. You're my muse, she said, my inspiration, my friend, my sister. I had the worst writer's block until we met, the actual day we met, as it happened. That first night, the hesitation lifted and I could create again, like magic. Tammy smiled. If they're crap, I'm going to shoot you, she said. If they're crap, I'll buy you the gun, Marie replied. When Tammy read them, they weren't crap. They left Tammy raw and wiser and naked and proud. She told Bert. He was scoffing down a piece of fairy bread. Crumb sat on his chest. Hundreds and thousands were scattered over his now prominent stomach. She told him about the poems. Do you really want to be shown to the world like that? Bert asked. She writes so well. I think her pens are full of concentrated grit, Tammy answered. She sends reports from places other poets don't even visit. Her poems are so beautiful the ancient Greeks will make statues from them. I can't believe they're about me. Bert chewed absent-mindedly. And she's leaving, Tammy said. She's slowly starting to organise. She hasn't said anything yet, but I'm guessing that after her book is published, she'll head to France, or South America, or Finland, or Hawaii, whichever dream she follows. Somewhere close, a car engine was revving. It grew louder and louder, and then suddenly stopped. I think that I've been able to inspire her, Tammy said. I'm going to miss her, though. You could go with her. Tammy looked around her flat and then to Bert. She shook her head. I might move, she said eventually, but it won't be with her. After Marie left, Tammy bought a house in a small town called Talbingo at the edge of the Snowy Mountains. It was cold and quiet and isolated. In time, she became principal of the local school. All the kids met Bert and stories of the teacher with the pet fairy were common. None of the adults believed them, of course. If you go there and ask the right people, they'll tell you about kids forever hunting Thistledown, though. At first, Tammy missed Marie terribly. After a while, she formed a circle of friends as meaningful to her as her relationship with Marie had been. It wasn't as deep or dependable or intense as it had been with Marie, but it was just as important. 
the women read books, worked on each other's gardens and made clothing. Some were still raising children and the kids became as close as the women. A few had men who mattered to them, most didn't. They were a community, Tammy realised. She glided towards retirement. She was surprised to notice as she aged that Bert's lifestyle, which had for so long been dedicated to his little lounge and the television and endless pieces of fairy bread, now seemed to change. She swore she saw him doing push-ups one evening. Why would a fairy do push-ups? And little tiny sit-ups. At first he weaved and huffed, minuscule pants of exertion, but gradually she saw him becoming fitter. Then she received a letter. It was from Marie. She was in Dublin. Loving it, she said. The kids were long gone, scattered to two of the four winds. Papa was in New York and Maddie was somewhere in Polynesia. Both were apparently exceedingly happy, although Marie missed them terribly. She asked Tammy to join her. Tammy put the house on the market. It didn't sell. She lowered the price, but still there was no buyer. Bert, looking healthier than he had for a long time, asked if she wanted to use her wish. Maybe I will, Tammy said. But then she was sent an email describing Marie's death in a horrible road accident. Someone from France had mistakenly driven home on the wrong side of the road. Marie had stepped out at a crossing and been hit. Tammy sat down heavily on the bed. There were tears streaming down her face. She was sad for a long time. One afternoon she was out with Bert. They were amongst the trees and Bert was in the jar she still used when they were outside. Did you know Marie once had a fairy? He said out of the blue. What? She had a fairy. Andrew Frandon Wildenthorpe. We call her Fran. Did she use her wish to become famous? Tammy asked. No. Not for anything to do with the children either, or to travel. Then what did she use it for? Tammy asked. Bert shook his head. Confidentiality, he said. Can't tell you. Tammy tried to imagine what Marie would want. Her writing, the children and travel were the most important things in her life. If she hadn't used the wish for them, then what could it have possibly been? Did she wish for belief in herself? Tammy asked. I can neither confirm or deny, Bert said. Tammy nodded. Knowing Marie, she probably wished for a delicious cheese or an amazing sunset after a gloomy day or the ability to knit. You're getting closer. Tammy stopped trying to guess. Tammy was 88 when she died. By that time, she'd been around the world with Bert. She'd worked in an African orphanage. She'd gone to Cambodia and helped street kids. She'd built schools in Timor. She visited three remote communities in Central Australia, delivering books and holding writing workshops. She'd won a UN medal for teaching. She lived in Marseille while she helped wean Harpo off heroin and stood in for Marie at Madison's wedding before moving with her to New Orleans to help raise her children. Now they were back in Australia, it seemed to Tammy that Bert had aged just as she had, although fairies don't grow old. Just before she took her last breath, they were talking. He was sitting on the end of her finger. I've worked out what your fourth wish was, she whispered to him. You have? he asked. 
You wished something for yourself, didn't you? You wanted someone to love, she said. It was you, he answered. She smiled. And now I know what I want, she said quietly. I thought you'd never ask, he told her. I had some things to do first, she replied. You are amazing, he said. Now quickly, before it's too late. What's your wish? I wish to be a fairy too, she said. It was his turn to smile. He somehow grew larger and brighter in that moment. Drops of light fell from him. They spun in a circle in the air and then flew towards Tammy. It was as if they went straight through her. Her human body dropped to the ground, but there above her was a bright golden figure. Bert flew towards her with holy fairy majesty and grasped her hand. Two fairies, each with the love of their life. They flew away in the breeze together, talking happily, planning miracles. When you think about it, it's only their size that stops us thinking fairies look different to angels. That was Genevieve Davis reading Wishing Well. It was recorded in the podcast studio of Relativity Productions in Wollongong and was mastered at King Sound Studios in Surrey Hills, Sydney. The music was by Trevor Brown. Please check out his website. There's links from earmovies.com. Season 2 of Ear Movies is brought to you in a shameless plug for my audiobook Charlie's Wives, read by Robert Hansen. Based on a true fragment of history, Charlie Brewster writes letters for African-American army wives to their husbands at the front during the American Civil War. In a world of violence and PTSD, he starts to learn about intimacy and women. Charlie stoops and kneels before a dying man, offers a sip from his canteen. The rebel captain is surprised and grateful. They both know he will not live long, his life inevitably seeping away. He does not speak for their whole encounter. The bluest eyes Charlie has ever seen. Pure, honest, like speedwell flowers. Charlie waits until he passes. 
remembers the rebel captain's blue eyes always. You can buy Charlie's Wives from Audible or get the hard copy from Amazon or the ebook from Kindle. There are links on the Ear Movies website. Please come back for more of Conversations with Buckthumper, Season 2 of Ear Movies. I'm Simon Luckhurst. Thanks for listening.